This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Noah Zazanis, and here we are reading a letter from a listener. Uh, well then, on the note of the patriarchy, would you like to end our time together talking about a trans guy and his dad? I would love to. Subject, sadly dadless. I am a transgender man, and I have been transitioning for almost four years now. I have received tons of support from my friends and family, all except for my dad. For the past two years, he has been avoiding using my new name and male pronouns. He wants me to come visit him, but I refuse to be around him until he starts referring to me correctly. He's 80 years old, and I'm worried he might pass away before I visit him again. Am I being inconsiderate? What do I do? I'd love to hear from you. I've I've been real chatty about my own relationship with my family. People know it. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts to get us started on this one. Yeah, I mean, don't you don't have to talk to your dad, man. Like, just off the bat, that is not required. You don't owe him that. I kind of think you know you don't owe him that, which is why you reached out to Danny to tell you that. Um, but I'm also here to reaffirm that you don't owe him shit. Um, yeah, I haven't talked to my dad since I was 15. I got lucky in some ways that my parents were divorced and the rest of my family also doesn't talk to my dad. And so it's real like team don't talk to your dad. I think the social pressure from other family members is sometimes especially difficult, especially since in this article, it seems like your dad is kind of the holdover of not supporting you, but it's also unsupportive if family members are making you feel shitty about not talking to your unsupportive dad. Like there's a reciprocation thing here. The idea of visiting your dying parents is they've taken care of you. They've supported you all your life. So now you have to support them. Notably, he's not supporting you. He doesn't seem interested in being kind to you. And so if you want to charitably hang out with him one last time, that's your prerogative. But he's fucked up his end of the obligation and you don't have to be the bigger man here. Yeah, I I think that's all really useful. You know, letter writer, you also seem pretty aware that like whatever choice or choices you make, it's part of it will be sad, you know, right? Like you might decide not to go and he might, you know, die in the next couple of years. Um, it's all also possible he might live another five or 10 years. Um, sometimes people live a little longer than you think that they will. So none of that's to say like, don't take into account uh, the increased likelihood of his death, like with each passing year, just that 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 shouldn't be, I think, the only factor. Um, so, you know, you can also consider like, what was our relationship like before I transitioned? Um, what, you know, if I were to see him, what would I want to say to him? What would I want to communicate? What would I want him to hear from me? Um, is there a conversation I can imagine having with him either through a letter or over the phone that kind of lays out, I'm willing to meet with you, if you're willing to let go of some of the, you know, transphobia, um, I hope you do. Balls in your court. Um, so that it doesn't feel quite so much like, oh my gosh, the choice is wholly mine, which I think oftentimes people, especially who have like a vested transphobic uh, interest in like putting something off, um, they'll, they'll want to put the ball back in your court of like, I'm the adult, 
you're the child. I'm the one who's near death. You're the one with your life ahead of you. It's incumbent upon you um, to get over whatever it is that's been going on between us so that I can have peace before I die. And that's kind of the implied uh, like baggage here, I think. is like, if he were to die and we had not reconciled, what would I do? Would I feel guilty? Would I feel like I had not done enough to try to make amends? Would I feel like that negated anything good about our relationship prior to that? Would I feel like his life ended unhappily as a result? Like, those are all useful questions for you to worry about. And and I could imagine a number of different responses uh, to them um, that are worth, you know, thinking through and talking about maybe with other people whose judgment and, and affection you can count on. Yeah, I'm so sorry to just aggressively be on team. You don't have to talk to your dad. That's often my social role. I think Danny's giving you some more like concrete advice here, but... I just wanted to add to that because I, I fully agreed and, and was glad that that was where we started. Um, I, I think there's also a lot of like, gosh, if I don't do this, then that's the last reality. That's it. That's everything. Um, and I just don't think that that's really especially useful. And and I guess I just also think it's it's important to acknowledge like, you know, you might regret it no matter what you do. Like you you can't preempt regret. Like I could imagine a scenario where you went and visited him and then he died and you just felt like that visit was a waste. I did not feel like I was granting peace to a dying man. I felt like I was like putting myself through the ringer for this like weird old motherfuckers like obsession with like insisting upon a gender I don't have and it sucked and then he died. Or you might not go and feel mostly good, but occasionally a twinge of guilt. Or you might feel great, but then get like a shitty blistering letter from him that's like, I am on my deathbed and my like terrible daughter has failed to like perform, you know, her like do rights towards me, King Lear. Um, And, you know, that would feel bad. Uh, And so I, I think maybe I bring all that up to give you the sort of freedom of considering what you want, what you feel capable of, what you think you can handle without the fantasy of maybe there's something I can do where everyone gets enough of what they want that they feel good. Like just rather than kind of accepting probably something is going to feel bad at least once, no matter what. So now I have the freedom to decide what do I want to do. There really seems like a resounding theme of many of these letters. Like you can't avoid feeling bad you can do what you want or what you think is right in a situation, but there's no guarantee of I'm not going to regret this. I'm not going to hate this. There won't be consequences for me. It's also hard. Like if somebody has been consistently transphobic towards you, there's no acknowledgement on their end of like what I have been doing carries a weight has been harmful, has hurt you. It's all just, why are you being so difficult? So it makes sense that there would be that fear of, well, am I just being inconsiderate? Totally. And I guess, you know, in this situation, like the reason why most options are going to feel bad is because your dad has put you in a shitty situation. And now it's been put on your shoulders in a way that isn't fair. And I'm just so sorry. Like the thought of He's 80 years old, you know, even if he had you very late in life, like my guess is you've been out of the nest for some time now. And like the idea that he can't after like 80 years on this planet think, wow, like my kid ended up being a whole complete autonomous adult and like leading a life that wasn't just being a baby where I imagined the baby's future. 
what a remarkable time to live in. Like, how interesting. I'm sorry that he's closed himself off to that entirely. Um, he doesn't have to do that. That's not a necessary uh, like byproduct of his age or his position in life. He did not have to do that. That wasn't inevitable. And I think maybe the overarching theme of these letters today is like transphobia is not inevitable. And and if you think of it as like this inevitable byproduct of like, well, they've always been like this or the world is like this, so I should therefore put up with it. You'll just hurt yourself a lot and um, you just don't have to. So like, you know, I can really, really sympathize with that kind of like sadness and anxiety at the prospect of like never having that conversation that you had maybe hoped you might be able to have with him someday. But I would lean towards, if you do say anything, letter writer to say, as you know, I would be available to talk to you if you are willing to stop this like transphobic delusion that you get to dictate my gender and my identity when you don't. If you can do that, we can talk. And if you choose not to, we can. But the choice is yours, not mine. I think that would be a fair thing to say. And it would maybe go some way towards making you feel like, I have gestured in the direction of peace, uh, and I am now letting Esau decide if he wants to cross the river. Yeah, I agree with everything you say. And just looking back at the letter one more time, rather than my imagined projections of the letter, I saw the last time, am I being inconsiderate? And your dad's being inconsiderate. Like, you're showing a lot of consideration by thinking about what do I owe him in this situation? What is my role here. And regardless of what you do, it seems like that's more consideration than you're getting right now. And so I, while you choose any of the options that have been put forward or that you come up with in your head, I also just want to make sure you can sit pretty in the knowledge that you're not being inconsiderate and you're being a good son as best as you can right now. Yeah. And to that end too, letter writer, if you decide you do want to go see him, even if you know it's not going to go well, that's fine too. Please don't worry that oh, like absolutely. that would be like a compromise of like your autonomy. Like you have so much freedom here. I just want to make sure that you know that probably no matter what you do, you're going to feel a lot when your father does die. Um, and that the like underlying reality is going to be my father died and things weren't great between us. My father died and it was without having spent the last few years being able to like be close to me because he tried to stop my transition. And that's really sad, but that's going to be the reality no matter what you do. So you're going to need to find ways to deal with that sadness. Like I can have any number of feelings about my, my parents on any given day, but like the reality is there and sad no matter, like even if I did still talk to them, the reality would still be there. Like so I think that was part of what made estrangement in some ways like lighter was like the the horrible grief would be present no matter what. There's no choice I could make where I would avoid that. This is just a question of whether or not I can have a conversation without betraying my values. If you have a quick second, we have a, a, an update from a recent letter or like a response to a recent letter that okay. I think is also in your wheelhouse. Fun. So I'm going to read this letter. I got a few more along these lines. So it, this feels like representative. Um, and this has to do with a recent letter called Praise with No Raise from the letter writer who had been at this nonprofit for years and years and years and was still making like just above minimum wage and, and was getting, you know, told like, you'll get promoted, but no more money ever. So, just a quick response to praise with no raise, and then this part's in all caps. Unionize your workplace. 
The nonprofit industrial complex is almost universally awful. This may not be an option for you, but if there's a chance that you can take collective action for your own benefit as well as the industry as a whole, it's worth considering. And I picked this one because this one was like, you might not want to do it and that's fine. Whereas some of the other ones were like, you should. Um, And I appreciated that this one recognized like, you don't have to. Um, What are your thoughts about someone who's like been at a, a nonprofit for like seven years, gets promoted a lot, makes no money? Do you think like, try and start a union? Do you think, get out of there? I guess my first strategic question, considering all the promotions, is, is this person union eligible? Because if they're a manager, they might not be, depending on the particular union. A union fight is a really long process. I am, I do think, you know, anyone who can start a union should start a union. I'm a Marxist, obviously, I believe that. On a practical, you being in a situation that sucks for you area, it is up to you whether you think a union fight is something you could win, something you can get your coworkers on board for. And whether it's personally meaningful for you right now, I haven't read the original letter in its entirety, so I don't know your other working conditions. If you're like, I really do want to stay at this job, I just need more pay, then it might be worth it to you know, reach out to the Office Workers and Professionals Union or the UAW or any of the other unions around you that do work with nonprofit workers and see what your options are. If you're like, fuck you, pay me, I just need a raise right now, then I don't think an extended contract fight is going to do that. But all that said, you know, like unions are great. Working with your coworkers for a better world is great. And especially if the mission of your nonprofit is important to you, then starting a union is a great way to make that mission actually be in touch with the experiences of the workers and really build a better world outside of the confines of, you know, funders and bureaucrats and all the things that make nonprofit work hell sometimes. Yeah. I think that's really useful. And like letter writer, you know, you might also want to look for a union job elsewhere. Like there are also unions that already exist. If you're just like, I am wiped out and I cannot pay my bills and I need something now, um, look for a a union job um, at a different company. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that a number of people wrote in about that one because I had been really fixated on just like you specifically letter writer are like the most highly promoted and yet most consistently underpaid person at this job. And like you deserve to get out of here. And I think I'd even like lean on the side of like, don't go work for like Raytheon, but just like go get a corporate job. Just make a bunch of money. Um, and it's nice to be like, right, or this. Um, but again, like my priority here is like for the letter writer to take into consideration her own position, her own abilities, her relationships with her colleagues, uh, some of whom were recently let go. So like uh, may, not, may not be feasible. But yeah, unionization is a great option. And uh, if that's not one for you, maybe look for a union job somewhere else. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with a guest. 
And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.